Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 64, Digital Colonialism. Welcome to this week's awareness offering. I hope this episode finds you well. I'm going to open it like an email. Um, I have a couple housekeeping things to share before we get into our opening practice and discussion. The first housekeeping item is one I share every week, which is if you would like to support the show, best ways you can do so are by rating, subscribing, and or leaving a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. You can also share by word of mouth or social media, and all of those actions help other people find this show and are greatly appreciated. Second housekeeping item is that next week is a holiday week, technically. It is the week of the holiday that we celebrate as Thanksgiving. I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. I sometimes acknowledge it as Gratitude Day, um, always with awareness around the indigenous genocide that made holidays like this on stolen land possible, but it is a holiday week and I am going to take space. Um, even if I'm not taking space to celebrate colonization, still going to take the space. So there will be no podcast episode next week, but then the following week, final week of November, I'll be back with a full episode for you. Third housekeeping item, I'm going to be talking about social media today, which is one of my areas of skill in addition to the yoga and meditation and, you know, training to be a therapist. I also work as a social media strategist and I try to integrate all of the learnings around yoga and spirituality that I do everywhere else into that space of social media. But I'll be talking about social media today and I will be name dropping some powerful figures in the world and industry of social media. So I need to offer a disclaimer that this is an opinion podcast. This episode contains my opinions and discussion. Nothing here is to be taken as fact. I may quote certain allegations, but largely this is host opinion. And I'm saying that so that no one sues me. (laughs) I am not under the illusion that this podcast is big enough that I'm at a high risk of getting sued, but some of these people that I'm going to talk about are particularly litigious and unhinged. So got to cover my bases. Now that they're covered, let's cover our consciousness, spiritual, energetic bases by opening this space with practice. We'll go into our opening ritual together of singing the sound of Om one time. Om is a vibration. It's a Sanskrit word. Sanskrit is a vibrational language, meaning every syllable has a sound. I also want to acknowledge as I'm continuing my learning um, and listening to folks who are indigenous to these spiritual traditions that I'm studying, that Sanskrit was not always accessible to everyone in India due to the oppression of caste, um, due to structures that 
made it so that only certain classes of people were deemed like pure or holy enough to use this language. So it feels important to say that out loud as we use it. It is a privilege to use Sanskrit and there's a history behind Sanskrit. With that said, Sanskrit is a vibrational language, meaning every syllable has an energy, and the syllable of Om is said to be the pure energy of consciousness. So we're trying to set an energetic space of consciousness and awareness here together. So you can join me in singing Om out loud, you can listen, you can also just vocalize, right? Make a sound that isn't Om, and it has a similar effect because vibration and sound are inherently harmonizing, they bring us into balance. So, If you are coming along with me, feel free to get your body into any kind of comfortable position. Feel free to close your eyes or soften your gaze by looking down your nose or toward the floor if those things are supportive or safe or comfortable for you to do right now. And then you might take a breath in through your nose if nostril breathing is available to you right now. Maybe you exhale through your nose, just clearing some space. And then we'll inhale for the sound of Om. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now for this week's discussion. So, like I touched on a little bit at the beginning of this pod, one of my skills and crafts, in addition to being a yoga and meditation teacher, to training as a psychotherapist, which I am doing right now, is social media strategy. I am a social media strategist. I do that for work. I run several people's social media, I I curate and run and manage several people's social media presence for them. And they all happen to be people or institutions that are, you know, in the realm of spirituality and sort of personal growth in some way. So I have become kind of by fate and then by skill, a spiritual social media strategist. And I've spent the last five plus years working in this realm, learning as I go, um, developing skills and doing my best to show up on social media, which can be a really toxic space for a lot of reasons that I'll touch on in a moment as a person who also really deeply values spiritual practice, consciousness, and awareness, all the things that I have based this podcast and my life's work on. So I've learned a lot. I've been through a lot. I feel a lot about this intersection of spirituality and social media. And one of the ways that I sort of process that and share that with other people is through a workshop that I teach at my yoga center at my ashram here in Atlanta called Kashi Atlanta. It's a workshop called Spiritual Social Media, Creating a Conscious Online Presence. And I've taught that workshop twice now. The first time I taught it was January 9th, 2021, three days after January 6th. So a really interesting position to be sharing about how to show up online in the world. And then the second time I taught it was this past weekend. I'm recording this right now on November 17th of 2022. So Saturday, November 12th, 
few days ago, five days ago, I think, I taught this workshop a second time. And so I've been back in that headspace of thinking about spiritual social media, how to share that with people. And I have been promoting this workshop. I've been sharing about it on my own social media to invite people to come. And I'm going to do a really quick shameless plug. The workshop that I taught was on Saturday. It was two and a half hours. And the recording of that workshop is now available. It's a $35 purchase for two and a half hours of instruction. I've spent five, seven plus years working in this field. So that's a lot of experience. So it's a really great value. And if you'd like to purchase it and learn more about the actual like content creation side of this, here I'm gonna be talking a little more about like the ethics and just the structure of social media. But if you wanna learn more about how to show up in your social media presence, please send me a direct message on Instagram. I am at Lara underscore Tara. It's two underscores, Lara Tara. Send me a DM and I can drop you into the workshop retroactively. And then you'll get on the email list to be emailed the recording of this workshop and the PowerPoint from this workshop on Saturday night. So shameless plug, please learn more with me. Spiritual social media recording is available now. But I've been in this headspace of promoting the workshop. Now I'm promoting the recording. So I've been sharing a lot about this work. And In sharing about this work, I've had the opportunity to reflect on how do I actually feel about the intersection of social media and spirituality today, here as I am in this current phase of my life and here at the end of 2022. Because like I said, I taught this workshop once before on January 9th, 2021. It was three days after the January 6th attack on the Capitol riot. I was still very likely in shock from that event and figuring out how to even begin to process it. And I'd had that workshop scheduled for months before. And then I showed up to teach it and was kind of like, okay, y'all, it's a really weird time to be alive right now. Here's what I know about creativity, about being a human in this era where we're all so digital and so much on social media. Here's what I have to give and to serve and to try to make the world a better place through creativity and digital digital stuff. (laughs) And it was what it needed to be. It was a really sweet space. And I'm glad for what it was. And I've now had this opportunity a little under two years later to circle back to that same material. It was the same workshop, same PowerPoint, same material, albeit with some tweaks because social media has changed drastically in that time. But to circle back to that material and say, okay, now what? Like now, how am I approaching this knowing what I know with the way that social media has changed so drastically with the way that our world and our society and our landscape has continued to change so drastically and be so charged and difficult. And what I have discovered is that I feel a lot more radical than I did in 2021 the way that I have presented this workshop when I'm promoting it has been a lot more blunt and radical than it was before. And funnily enough, it still comes back to creativity. The workshop is so much centered on the energy of creativity, both from a spiritual perspective and how we then ferry that into our digital presence. And that hasn't changed. It's still about creativity, but I'm much more radical in my relationship to creativity. I am much more committed to 
practicing creativity as a subversive revolutionary practice because one of the things I have discovered over the last couple years and one of the things that I ardently believe is that creativity is not just about like an art project. Of course, art is creativity and it's a way to practice, a beautiful way to practice creativity, but it's not just about an art project. It's about reimagining. It's about taking what's in our mind and heart and making it real in the world in a way that can sometimes disrupt the current systems and ways of being in the world, which can be incredibly disruptive. It can be a radical act of of creating transformation and change and equity and justice. And so I've become a lot more radical in my relationship to creativity. And the creativity that I'm sharing about when it comes to social media, it's it's the same essence, but I now know that I am, I'm not just trying to help folks create beautiful content, although that's part of it. I'm trying to help folks see their capacity to show up in their essence of creativity even in a world that really wants to tamp that down because creativity can be a threat to the current world order, essentially. Really casual stuff. So that's how I've been relating to this concept of creativity on social media as I have navigated this second offering of this workshop. And as I've gone through this process and this reflection, one of the things that has come up one of the insights and beliefs that I have discovered that I hold as I have, you know, started to talk about this again, this spiritual social media offering is this relationship between social media and particularly the systems and owners and structures related to our modern social media landscape, the relationship to social media and colonialism. And the first insight that I had about that was when I sort of what came to me as a a discussion topic, as a way of announcing this workshop and opening this discussion around my current relationship to social media was that algorithms are colonialism in motion. Because my understanding of colonialism And I say this from my position as someone who has ancestors who were likely colonizers or and or benefited from colonialism. I also have ancestors who were colonized, Um, but I am a white passing person. I have grown up with all the the privileges and lack of barrier that comes with appearing white. And so I have benefited from colonialism. So I feel very aware that I say this in that position. I have never lived the experience of being from a colonized group. And I am not trying to be an expert on colonialism. I am not the one. I am just sharing the from the position I'm sitting in the insights I have about an industry that I work in. And it is that these algorithms, these systems, structures that have been put into place to structure or control our experience of social media are a modern version of colonialism. And the reason I think about that is because my understanding of colonization is that it involves a system or a group of people and power showing up to a space that is organic and 
natural. My computer just made a sound. Sorry. <laughs> I don't really edit these podcasts super highly. They're very conversational. But anyway, my understanding of colonization is it involves this structure of people in power showing up to a space that is organic and authentic and fully itself and deciding that they know better what is best for that space and deciding it should be theirs just because they want it to be and deciding they should take it and apply their structures and their conditioning and understanding to this organic space to make it something different rather than allowing it to be what it is in its own context. That is my understanding, or at least one, of of the essence of colonization. And to me, that is what the algorithm, and I'm thinking particularly about Instagram, that's where I put most of my energy, where I have the most experience, but that is what the algorithm is to me. When Instagram first launched, before it blew up and became before it became obvious to people in power that it could be a money-making tool and before it had new owners, um, when it was just an open social media platform, it was about who we were and where we were in any given moment, posting a photo that related to a moment in our lives to share with community. And then it became about once people discovered that this could be a platform for sharing about our crafts and our work and our offerings and sharing those types of things with people, it became about creativity, about creating and sharing. And that's what it was organically in its essence and in its authenticity. And then once it became clear that there was money to be made and power to be had because there were a lot of people showing up on this platform, Some folks in power obtained access to it and implemented these structures and systems. In this case, the algorithm, which is a machine learning system that uses just constant machine learning every second of the day to evolve and decide what it thinks we would like to see on our feeds rather than allowing that organic flow of human experience that was once translated to Instagram. And to me, that is colonization. That is extractive Colonization is extractive. It aims to extract resources and benefits from something. Just like colonizers came to the Americas to extract resources. Folks were looking for gold. Folks were looking for land, extracting resources. And something similar has played out on a platform like Instagram where folks see money and they see access and influence and power. And so they take this organic thing and they implement their own systems and structures. And it has not been incredibly successful. The algorithm, most organic anecdotal experiences of real people who are on Instagram have shown that the algorithm is not showing people what they actually want to see. From my anecdotal experience, it is harder to see the people I care about and be seen by the folks who actually follow me on Instagram than it ever was. And that is a result of the algorithm. So that's the first place I kind of noticed this relationship between modern social media and colonialization is the algorithm. And now, as the wild frontier of social media continues to evolve in real time in front of our eyes, I am now able to see a relationship between the people in power on social media and colonization. That is to say, the people who have power on social media are largely, a lot of them, not all of them, but the folks that I'm going to speak about who are in charge currently of some of the largest 
and most popular social media platforms, they are neo-colonizers. I'm thinking, of course, about Elon Musk, and that's why I had to add a disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast so he doesn't hear this somehow and sue me. Um, He has recently purchased Twitter and is driving it into the ground in front of our eyes. Um, His... He, if just for one example, he's created a new system of monetization where instead of putting a blue check to beside someone's Twitter handle to indicate that they are verified, as in they are who they say they are, as they would have been before because they were either a notable public figure or a news source so that people seeing that Twitter profile could know, I know this person is who they say they are and this is a trusted source of information. Elon has implemented a new system in which people can pay anyone can pay to be verified. And this has created a a shit show to be blunt about it because anyone can now purchase verification and pretend to be a reliable source or institution and post false information. And there's been stock market consequences for this, which, you know, I'm not that worried about, but there are real world consequences for this and it's become a mess. Um, There have been, there have been, wild expectations implemented on the staff at Twitter for number of hours worked and working in office and all types of things to where people are being fired or resigning en masse. And so the structures at Twitter are dissolving in front of our eyes, meaning there is less moderation, there is less tech support, there will be more glitches, and the list could go on and on. So Twitter is truly being driven into the ground before our eyes. And to me, this is a, an example of colonization right in front of us. This is someone with an obscene amount of wealth and power who has built that wealth and power essentially taking over other people's companies. Um, Elon Musk did no inventing when it came to Tesla or SpaceX. He bought both of those companies. Um, so he gained this power just through buying out other folks' work. Um, and so he has this amount of power and he saw a thing that he decided he wanted And just because he wanted it and thought he could do better with his structures and systems with it, he bought it and took it. And now he's implementing his own structures and driving it into the ground. And I don't see a difference between that and, you know, the, the, like Christopher Columbus, you know, deciding he discovered land that other people have been living on for hundreds of years and deciding he could do better with it by by putting it on the map or settling it or whatever it might be to me that reads as incredibly similar to what elon musk is doing he sees this this kind of digital land and decides he could do better with it and just takes it because because he wants to and now he's making it arguably worse just like the colonizers made conditions arguably worse in lands that they colonized so now i'm seeing this relationship between the people in power on social media and the colonizers. And by many reports, Elon Musk's family wealth comes partially from the fact that his father, Errol Musk, owned stake in an emerald mine in apartheid area, or excuse me, apartheid era South Africa in the 1980s. So there is a direct line from actual colonization to the wealth that is now colonizing parts of social media, uh, in this case, Twitter. And not just on Twitter, If we think about the other owner of some of the largest and most used social media platforms in existence, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who owns Meta, which 
I still like, it makes me nauseous to say that out loud that it's like the metaverse because we have to make everything like some futuristic conglomerate rather than allowing things to be where they are or as they are. But he oversees Facebook and Instagram to another two incredibly, excuse me, another two platforms that are incredibly popular um, and widely used. And Facebook, he was, you know, he started out as the, the CEO, I believe, of Facebook and then purchased Instagram and now oversees Instagram as well. And hit Facebook's acquisition of Instagram was partially what led to this algorithmic structure being applied that has made it so much more difficult to reach or be reached on Instagram. There are constant changes at Facebook um, that have oftentimes made the experience less user-friendly. You have to click like five times to get to a certain place where you used to have to click once. And all that is to say, once this, this person who is also happens to be a white guy, which is the demographic of a lot of colonizers, you know, people of European descent with the power of white passing privilege, once he decided that he saw a thing and decided he could apply his own systems and logic and do better with it, the experience has gotten arguably worse. And so I see all these examples of colonization on social media everywhere. And that has been my big discovery through kind of circling back to my work in sharing spiritual social media this time around. And I can't really unsee it now. And what I've come back to over and over is that same creativity. Like I said earlier, my, my offering of creativity for social media hasn't changed from January of last year to now, to November of this year. But I am much more radical and kind of irreverent in my pursuit of creativity on social media. Because my idea is this, this algorithm, this system is going to, it's going to do what it's going to do to our content and it will or won't reach a certain number of people. So we might as well just do whatever we want. It's kind of the idea because regardless of whether our reach and our engagement, the people who see our posts, like our posts, which aren't even the most important metrics uh, for how we're connecting on Instagram if we're using Instagram as an example, a lot of the times who is saving and sharing our posts is more impactful to know what what kind of impact our content is really ha- having because that kind of, when someone takes the time to save or share, that indicates that something really connected with them. But either way, even if, it, even if the number of people who like or see our posts is lower, people are still seeing our posts. And so my thought is that we might as well be as wildly and fully ourselves, fully express with all the creative capacity that we have so that the people who are seeing our stuff are impacted by our truest heart. And that to me is subversive of this algorithm that this, the choice to say, I'm not going to shape my content and my creativity to try to tick off some boxes and entertain the algorithm with the hope of the hope that it picks me and likes me and gets me seen by more people. 
right? There could be parallels drawn between that kind of behavior and something like assimilation, which is not something I have lived experience of, but this idea that we have to form ourselves to check the boxes so that the systems of power will will have mercy on us and lift us up to the top of the power structure. Instead, the idea is to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be radically myself. I'm not going to tick the boxes. I'm going to make my creative essence and what I'm sharing as expansive as possible, regardless of how you decide to punish me by, you know, keeping my content from, from reaching more people or whatever it might be. Because first of all, I'm still reaching somebody. And if they can see me in my essence and that helps them connect to themselves somehow, then that matters, even if it's one person. And even if I'm reaching nobody, the creativity without these constrictions, without these like hangups around what the system does or doesn't want, creativity in its essence is transformational. The sacred energy of creativity is it's creation, right? It's taking one thing and maybe another thing and maybe putting them together and making something new. It inherently creates newness. It creates transformation. It is always moving. It is always fluid. That is the nature of creativity. And so if we commit to that kind of creativity, even just for ourselves and for the sake of creativity alone, we are promoting transformation within ourselves. We are transforming, which means we are in a better position to be agents of transformation in this world and in these fucked up systems. So that's what my answer to these kind of this, this age where we are living in neo-colonization on social media. That's my answer is radical, authentic, no holds barred creativity. So for our practice in this week's episode, rather than a full on more quote unquote formal guided meditation, I'm going to offer a mini embodied practice around the energy of sacred creativity because the tradition of yoga, classical yoga, offers an access point to the energy of sacred creativity. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that and what it means, and then we'll practice it together. And again, as I do more learning, it feels important to acknowledge when I talk about these like traditional mythological underpinnings of yoga, that cannot be separated from its own form of colonization. One of the oldest forms of oppressive systems, which is the caste system, which separated people um, by different classes and labeled some people as pure or impure. Um, And these philosophies were sometimes used to justify that, like many spiritual philosophies have been used to justify harm. So it feels really important to say that. And the tradition of classical yoga, as I know it, has been deeply influenced by the tradition of Hinduism. Not because they're the same, not, be- not because yoga is a religion. Um, yoga, in my understanding, is an interfaith practice that can complement any faith or spiritual practice. But yoga and Hinduism grew up together in India alongside each other and around the same time. And so they've had a deep influence on one another. So the philosophy, mythology, and iconography present in Hinduism has influenced yoga. And in Hinduism, and really in Vedic tradition, which predates Hinduism and predates the caste system, right? It's one of those 
another instance of something in its essence and authenticity before it was targeted and distorted by a system. So really in the Vedic tradition, there is a goddess. And anytime I talk about a god or goddess, my understanding is you can think of those as actual sacred beings or as stories and archetypes for understanding sacred energy, because that's what they represent. Different parts and types of sacred energy. And this goddess, Saraswati, represents sacred creativity. So Saraswati is the wife or the consort of Brahma. And Brahma is said to be one of the three fundamental deities or energies in all of, of existence. There's this recognition that existence is made up of this cycle of creation, sustaining, and destruction. And Brahma represents that energy of creation where Vishnu, another archetype deity or energy, represents sustenance. He's the sustainer. And Shiva, the primordial yoga practitioner or yogi, is the destroyer, represents destruction. And those three, they're interwoven, they are interconnected and they're always playing out in that cycle of creation, sustenance and destruction. But Brahma is the creator and he created the fabric of the universe according to mythology and story and realized that in this wild, expansive energy, there needed, a, there needed to be a little structure. There needed, you know, the, this universe he created needed some form and some concept. And so out of his mouth came Saraswati, the goddess or energy of creativity. And she created things like the sun and the moon, the stars, like the skies and the oceans. She sort of created that sense of balance and separation, but interconnection between the earth and the sky. She created the four seasons. So she brought form and concept to the universe. She channeled creativity in an organized and purposeful way. And she's deeply associated with sound, with music. In one of her stories, she uses music to avoid a war. And, you know, speech, language, art, education, all of these creative endeavors are tied to this archetype goddess or energy of Saraswati. So we can use the name the energy of Saraswati as an in-the-moment embodied tool to actually call the energy of sacred creativity toward us. Because that's what I've been taught that mantra is. It's a call out to sacred energy with the trust and understanding that that sacred energy will respond. So we can tangibly, at least in my tradition and understanding, call on that energy of creativity. Call that authentic creativity to come toward us. So we can show up in our full creativity and transform ourselves and be agents of transformation. So that's where we come to mantra, to a Saraswati mantra, using the sound of Saraswati's name to call on that energy of, of sacred creativity. And again, knowing that it is a privilege to use Sanskrit. But the mantra is Om Aim Saraswati Ai Namaha. Om Aim Saraswati Ai Namaha. We might sing that together three times. You might listen. That is also a practice. And my hope is that this is a tool you can take with you as you digest and process your own relationship to how you will show up in your creativity, knowing that it is 
subversive in this time where these old, old forces of colonization are again so clearly rearing their heads. So you can find your, you know, find your comfortable position for your body again. You can close your eyes or soften your gaze by looking down your nose or toward the floor, just turning toward yourself for this intentional practice. You could bring your palms to touch, thumbs to the center of your chest, pranam, heart centering, just kind of asking to come from the heart in this mini practice. Then you might take a breath in through your nose if nostril breath is available. And a breath out, making space. Then we'll inhale to begin the mantra. Om Aim Saraswati Ai Namaha Om Aim Saraswati Ai Namaha One more Om Aim Saraswati Ai Namaha And my prayer, my sacred ask, is that this wild transformative energy of creativity goes with you and all of us as we use it, use transformation to keep our eyes open to the ways that these old oppressive forces are are circling back to the surface as they often do, these cycles. And we use that creative energy and that kind of true essence of who we are to subvert them. And before I leave you for a break next week, I'll offer one more reminder that a lot of what I discussed today is a little taste of what my two and a half hour spiritual social media workshop is all about. So if you'd like to dive in and hear more about the actual ways to use creativity on social media, you can send me a DM on Instagram and I can hook you up with the recording of that workshop with nothing but love and gratitude here. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.